Hi, I'm Greg Dean. 18 months into the COVID-19 pandemic, the rest of the world is opening up. Australia is still in day one, with its borders closed to the outside world. However, if you have a fat wallet with plenty of money to spend, or you are famous, the Australian government welcomes you in. Yet Australians are prevented from leaving or coming home. This podcast series exposes a corruption in Australia's governmental system, causing families to be torn apart. Hardworking Australian citizens who have long-standing, long-term global romances with citizens abroad, desperate to see their loved ones again, are prevented from leaving Australia or gaining an exemption for their fiancé, husband or wife from coming so that they can build their family together. Meanwhile, celebrity Caitlyn Jenner was issued a critical skills visa normally used for doctors and nurses to travel to Australia to host Big Brother. Today, we speak to Daniel, who has applied for a prospective marriage visa for the love of his life. Yet, after paying over $10,000, continues to be rejected by the Australian government for exemptions to bring his partner home. Firstly, Daniel, thank you so much for um, joining me and uh, taking the time out to explain how you've been affected by COVID-19 uh, and the pandemic, as well as your partner being stuck abroad. Greg, look, uh, I really do appreciate this opportunity. Um, and, you know, let's let's make it clear that it's not just myself in this situation. We have got thousands and thousands of people, but uh, the opportunity to tell my story mm, yeah. is fantastic because I do have a very interesting story and the way it's been affecting us over the past two years. Where did you first meet Anna? I first met Anna actually in Thailand of all places. You never know where you're going to meet that person you want to be with, do you? Uh, It could be anywhere. I was on holidays. I spent a lot of time in Thailand uh, with work. And there I was one night uh, actually singing in a bar. And uh, I was dressed as Elvis Presley. Uh, I was singing Love Me Tender and I saw this stunning woman on the other side of the bar. It is the classic story. And after I got off stage, I introduced myself. And as they say, the story went from there. How long ago was Anna, that? This was three years ago now. To say it was the penultimate love at first sight situation, yes, yes it was, or yes it is. The night we met, uh, Anna was due to fly home to Russia the next day. And uh, we spent an amazing time together and uh, we swapped phone numbers. And uh, at that point in time, you don't think much of it. Was this a holiday romance? Was this just something that happened? But Something deep inside of me was different. I actually fell in love with this woman at first sight. Uh, they yeah. said, it, say it can't happen, but it happened. Shortly after she left to go home back to Russia, she comes from a small town in Russia called Perm. has a population of around about uh, one and a half million people. Now, in Australia, we'll say that's a huge city, but no, that's actually just a little country town. She's a, she's a country provisional girl with, with uh, a, a positive and good attitude to everything. And most of all, she loves me. She, we, we love our company. We kept in contact for uh, every day since we've met. Every day since we've met, we've spoken uh, either on the telephone or, or via video chat. Shortly after returning home, I just couldn't think of anything else but this amazing Russian woman I met in Thailand. So I uh, booked a ticket to Russia 
First time ever going to Russia at that time. and Tourist I, visa? Yes, and uh, for those who have travelled to uh, Russia before, they know it's not that easy for us Australians to go get a visa, or uh, and it can be quite expensive. But I thought, no, no matter what it costs, no matter what it takes, I want to see this woman. So I travelled to uh, Moscow. I don't know how to explain the, uh, the feeling of seeing her again. Uh, after three months of separation from the first time we met, it was just totally ecstatic from both of us. And from there, um, our relationship just grew stronger and stronger and stronger. And we mutually decided that we want to be together. We, so um, this is where we are now. We're at the point where we've decided. And uh, around about a year ago, we, we put all our applications in. To uh, Sorry, around about a year and a half ago, we decided let's start the process and uh, we fitted all the paperwork, we got all the information. Now, this was around about 120 pages of documents uh, between us. We uploaded them, paid the fee, and COVID hits. And between then, so that first holiday that you had over there, what was the next holiday that you had? It was actually four months later. Okay. I came home. I spent uh, a month in Russia. Uh, we spent time traveling, sent, uh, we went to Moscow, we saw some amazing sights. Then I went back to her town of Perm, or city of Perm, and I met the entire family, spent lots of time together. Uh, she's extremely independent, extremely independent. So, you know, she's uh, uh, always thinking what to do. So that we had, there was never a time where things were unexciting. One thing I do have that um, is different to, I guess, a lot of other people who are, are, are in the same situation as Anna and myself is that uh, I'm 47 years old. Anna is uh, 50 years old. So I feel that uh, this is a little bit different where uh, we're mature enough to make these decisions for our future. It's not a whim. It is a massive decision we've made. And uh, unfortunately, at this point in time, we do have many boundaries and barriers still to get over. What was the next holiday you went on after that? So you, you spent a, a one month in Russia, and then the next one, where did you meet? We met uh, approximately four months later in Thailand. Uh, she had vacations and I had some work to do, so we met there and we spent another month in Thailand. Um, and unfortunately, we had to separate once again, and she went back to Russia and I came back to Australia. However, um, thankfully, I was in the position to see her one more time before the world stopped. And uh, I went to Russia again, and uh, this time I spent six weeks there. On a business or tourist visa? This was on a business visa. Um, this was prior, just literally, we, I, I returned back to Australia days before lockdown. Uh, I cut my time short because I could see something was happening and my business couldn't afford for me to be away. So I, I had to sort of cut my trip back a little bit earlier uh, go with gut feeling. And unfortunately, my gut feeling was right and everything was shut down. I just then imagine you were trying to reassure her that everything would be okay at the start. Yes. At first, I guess, like everybody, we thought, oh, this is going to be something maybe like the swine flu or the bird flu and it's just going to pass. However, it didn't pass or it hasn't passed. We have times where I'm reassuring her that we can get this done. We can do this. Please be positive. Yes, our government can be slow, but they're also fair. And then there's times where she can see it in me where I have, is this going to happen feelings, you know, 
it's not doubt of the relationship. The relationship feels strong. It's just everything to make this relationship work is not. We have so many different so many different hurdles now. There's visa hurdles. There's exemption hurdles. There's um, vaccine hurdles. There's everything. There's so many different hurdles now. Now, these people are not people who want to come to Australia and be a burden on, on uh, Medicare system or government uh, systems. At any, These are people who are loved, who are going to be adored and cherished, who are going to complete people, who are going to make Australian people happy, who are going to contribute to society in so many different ways. However, unfortunately, the coronavirus is, is totally non-discriminative. It doesn't matter what it does or who it goes to, but it has created this uncertainty. It's not uncertainty about love. It's uncertainty about when will I see this person again? Because at this point in time, we just don't know. We don't know. Every day I wake up, I, I jump online. Um, well, Anna's visa is still not uh, approved as yet. Um, we are applying for the PMB 300 visa, which only yesterday we had the first response from immigration asking for further information. And this has taken nearly a year to even have any correspondence from immigration to say that um, is there a yes, is there a no? Have they looked at the application forms? What did they ask for? What was the additional information they required? They um, requested, and I thought this was done, but obviously it wasn't. We had, we chose not to use a migration agent um, due to so many different conflicting reports. We hear about different migration agents through our country. Um, so we've done everything ourselves. And basically what they've asked for is a very standard document. I've done mine here from Australia which is the certificate of uh, no impending marriage equivalent, saying that she's never been married, which she hasn't. Uh, and also, they would like to see a couple more references from some friends of Anna in Russia. I've put my uh, forms through uh, for references and things, and that's all they've asked for. Now, I'm praying that this is a positive thing. I'm praying that this is something that, okay, we've looked at the application and, you know, give us this and we'll approve it. But then I hear horror stories or read horror stories. Now, I know a lot of people listening to this uh, are probably members of different forums on Facebook and uh, other social media platforms. However, uh, and, and hear the horror stories. We've got people out there who've been waiting two and three years to have a response. So in a way, I'm feeling really blessed in, in just under a year to have a response from Australian immigration, at least something it does really feel as though uh, we don't actually have any rights and that we're a statistic, uh, more so that we are granted favours from the Australian government who we pay taxes to, and those favours can uh, be taken away at their discretion. And it's something that I really learned over COVID that everybody willingly just complied to that. I personally applauded the government for shutting down borders because we didn't know what was happening. We needed to keep everybody safe. And then my partner who... I was stuck um, in, you know, in uh, her city. I had to reassure, hey, this will be okay. This is a one in a million, one in a lifetime situation. I'd been traveling with her since 2015. And I said, knowing how difficult it was just to get her a tourist visa to Australia and knowing how hard it is for others to get people just on a tourist visa 
to Australia. Try to get somebody from Thailand or uh, Philippines or, you know, some of these other countries, um, you know, Russia, there's some parts of Eastern Europe, Romania, those types of places where you have to justify your existence. You know, you need $5,000 in the bank. You need to have a secure job to come back to. There's all this other evidence that the Australian government require just to get a tourist visa to Australia. So how in the hell were we going to navigate then with COVID trying to get a partner visa to Australia considering I, I, I'd paid the money. It's upwards of seven and a half thousand dollars. We paid for a migration agent, which is upwards of three thousand dollars, who has been an absolute great help uh, in making sure we had everything together. But then all is closed and we trusted our government and then the majority of the population who don't have partners abroad uh, just went on with their life saying, hey, well, we've got our family together. Um, we're happy to work from home with that slogan, we're all in this together. The t- you know the TV advertisements with that song playing, we're all in this together. But we're not because we're forgotten about. At first, Greg, we were in this together. And I'm I'm with you 100% to say that I applaud the government's decisions over handling of COVID-19 and protecting um, Australia and its citizens. I'll be the first one to say they've done a fantastic job. However, they are forgetting so many different issues within this. Closing the borders is a good thing. However, you still got to let people in and let people in who want to be here. We don't need tourists coming to this country at the moment. At the moment, there's there's been over 6,000 tourist visas issued since the beginning of COVID. What the hell are tourists coming into this country during a pandemic? Money. It's ridiculous. However, we've paid just like yourself. I've paid actually, I did a calculation the other day. So far, this uh, the cost of trying to obtain this visa is pushing to around about 14,000 Australian dollars. There's no tickets involved. There's no quarantine involved. There's nothing. There's, that's just the money we've spent to hopefully get this visa. Now remember that the government happily takes your money. And as you know, I think this year it's just gone up. I think it's gone up to pushing $8,000 uh, with the CPI increase now with the uh, visa application fee. They're happy to take their money but they're not happy to deliver the goods. If they are so strict at the moment and they don't want people here, why are they still accepting applications to come here? Well, they have to accept the applications and then just sit them on the side and let the paperwork build up because they want the money. But I still find it morally wrong with the government accepting the money, however, not guaranteeing anything, which they don't. It It is a gamble. It is going to a casino and putting your money on, putting your money on it on the green zero. And this is why we come back to the fact that we, well, we come back to the idea that we are simply a statistic, a number on a screen, and that provided we are paying our taxes and paying the fees, then you're just put in the pile with the rest of the statistics. And so they look overall as the... um, statistical data of how many people live in one location how do we how do we move people from this location to that location how to 
make it more expensive to live in the city and move people out to the country will make it a little bit cheaper to move out here. We'll build a shopping centre. As you move closer to the city, it's going to get more and more expensive. Um, you know, they make a lot of incentives to control us to move wherever they want and then they encourage only a certain amount of people to live this way and for those who go against the grain such as us they make it extraordinarily difficult it's through social engineering it's through being a statistic and now um, we're in a holding pattern with money that we had legitimately paid and now controlled by an entity we don't know we don't know who is making those decisions sometimes i look at this situation as almost discriminatory where the government are telling us well no we're not going to let these people in however that you know there's enough people in our country almost why are you letting these people why are they making it so difficult they shouldn't make it difficult surely the government will see that these people need to come here they're happy to pay the money to come here that's a, that's a good start. It's a lot of money we're paying. Tell me about those last goodbyes of seeing Anna. <sighs> Gee, that's a horrible feeling. Well, it was at a time where the Wuhan virus was, or the coronavirus, was just rearing its ugly face around the world. And at this time, it was uh, just hitting to the UK and just hitting to America. First of all, cutting my trip short was a horrible feeling because I wanted to spend the time together. We love each other. I want to spend the time together. We love each other dearly. However, seeing the situation that was unfolding, it was time to go home. Excuse me, sir. I was, uh, I asked her not to walk into the airport with me. It was very early in the morning. It was around about 3 a.m. My plane took off and it was uh, around about minus 10 degrees. It was rather cold. The whole day before, if I could call it, fake happiness yes that's that's the word it was because we were trying to be putting on a smile knowing that tomorrow i was leaving and it was the worst 20 minutes traveling to the airport i've ever felt because it uh it was cold the feeling was cold because at that point we just never knew when we we're going to see each other again at that point in time i was hoping for the best but unfortunately the worst was unfolding I remember walking into their airport, finding a corner and just breaking down. Actually, I remember sit, uh, leaning on the floor next to a big stuffed bear, of all things, and I just lost it. I couldn't cope. I, I, just, I just didn't know what the future was going to do. And unfortunately, that same feeling is right now, because at this point in time, we still don't know what the future is going to do. So that that feeling of leaving Anna in Russia, coming back to Australia, was uh, one of the worst feelings I've ever ever felt. Yeah. It was heartbreak, and to look that look on their face as you go, I you know I I can say that um, I my situation was uh, my partner was extremely emotional. And, uh, you know, saying goodbye at the airport each holiday that we had that we'd pre-planned um, was so difficult. I would see her at the Bangkok airport majority of the time um, going uh, saying goodbye. And I'd made a plan to make sure that she left first because um, I didn't want her to be alone. She'd never traveled abroad uh, prior to meeting me. Um, so she obtained her, uh, her passport to 
meet me and so I made sure that she wouldn't be alone in an airport not knowing where to go and I'd been traveling prior to this so I had no problem with that and so I'd make sure that my flight would leave after her flight even if there was a day between and so we would have these two three eight week holidays traveling together and then there was those last moments those last days and um building up to that it just it just started getting heavier and heavier. The you know anxiety, that feeling? I know it. Yes, it's pressure. It's uh, it's almost it's a, it's a feel. I know that feeling, and sometimes it's so hard to to put a. To me, it was pressure. Mm-hmm. To me, I felt like I was going to explode. What I found was she wouldn't let go of my hand going up the escalator, and then we were kind of our our hands were forced apart just because the escalator was going higher, and she would just continue to look at me. And then walking away from the airport without her after having that connection for, you know, two months or so and just, oh, she's not here now. It was so challenging. But that last time that we uh, met, we'd applied for the visa. So we applied for a visa in September 2019. And then we decided, you know what, we're going to have a holiday together in October 2019 and we're going to make a huge celebration of a holiday because it was going to be hopeful. It wasn't going to be so bad saying goodbye. And I actually noticed that going up the elevator, there was a little bit less tears because, you know, from her, because there was hope. Like we'd applied for the visa. We did everything, meet her family, meet my family. We made sure that we ticked every box. Uh, going back to what I was saying before about how difficult it was just to get um, some people from some countries, a tourist visa into Australia and I thought, if it's going to be that challenging just to get a tourist visa, we need to make sure we tick every little box. And I did it. I made sure we ticked every little box. There was nothing that could have uh, come up. Did you meet her family? Yes, I did. Did she meet your family? Yes, she did. Um, you know, how much time did you spend together? And we worked it out over nine months uh, in total. Mm-hmm. And so there was that hope that everything was going to be okay. And then my migration agent in around March, uh, it was around March 2020, he said, hey, look, um, normally this doesn't happen so quickly, but uh, they just need this a little bit of extra documentation. Uh, It looks as though they're going to approve the visa. And I went, whoa. And now at this stage, didn't know much about COVID. There was just a couple of conversations out there around about COVID. Oh, what's this new thing that's, you know, that's out there. Uh, And so I'd said to her, hey, look, we just need this little bit of information, but it looks as though it's going to be uh, ready to go. So what we need to do is just arrange, pack your gear, what we're going to do and send it across. So she started sending her boxes of, you know, uh, you know, from international freight, uh, from some things that she wanted to bring to Australia that she couldn't carry in her luggage. So everything was going well. And then I get an email from my migration agent saying everything is now on hold. So from yep. 2014 chatting online to 2015, you know, meeting in person and then making sure we've got these holidays ticking every little box to make sure that there was no question uh, that uh, this visa should uh, not be approved. And saying to hey, you know, you've got hope in life now. You've got all this hope. You, I, you know, she didn't really have anybody else to lean on. Uh, you've got hope now. We're going to build this life. And then COVID hits and everything gets paused. And at the start, I said, hey, you know what? This is 
once in a lifetime. Let's let's just go with it. I'll support you if you you know if you lose your job for a little while. I can I can help. It's fine because um, you know, we're supported over here, but they're not supported over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, as it started going on, it got worse. I realized that no matter which way we turned, uh, this was not going away. And people were not listening to us. And people were just, uh, we were getting exemptions uh, denied without realistically anybody reading the actual documents. So how do you keep somebody's hope up in a situation where you're just a statistic? It's very hard. It's it's almost impossible sometimes. Uh, no matter what we say to each other, every day, every day we do say to each other, look, this will happen. This will happen. You, you, it's almost the you have to believe it. You have to have something to believe in. You have to have a bit of hope. I do have a bit of hope because I do have a bit of faith in our government. However, being treated like like a statistic or being treated like just a number is a horrible feeling. It's just horrible because there's nothing you can do. There's nothing. There's no one you can even talk to. There's no one you can email. You're just an, you're just something out there. It's almost like the the classic scene in Titanic at the very end where Leonardo DiCaprio falls away. That's what the feeling is like sometimes. Oh. It's also hard. Like during the peak of COVID, uh, Russia was receiving around twenty to 30,000 new corona infections per day. Here in Australia, we're having 20s and 30s. It's hard. It's a horrible feeling. You start worrying about everything. What are you, are you safe? Are you going outside? Where am I? Are you washing your hands? But every day watching those uh, coronavirus figures increase and there's nothing you could do. There's no, no way you could keep her safe. There's no way you could look after her. All you could do is just hope for the best. So, you know, to a lot of people who are in the similar situations, don't give up. Have that hope because you've got to have something and having that just that little bit of hope, things will happen. Have that faith, not only in yourself or your migration agent, have that faith in, in the Australian government because they will come through. But right now, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Let's be honest. What would you say to the general public that may not understand your situation? You know, they say, well, why don't you find somebody at home? You know, it's easier. We're all locked in. We've got everything we need here. We need to keep everybody safe you're too bad, you know, you're just going to have to live with this situation. What would you say to that? Because that's out, that is out there. That is a, 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 a held belief that um, too bad, the, the borders are closed and nobody yeah. should be coming in. Uh, what's that great saying, love can conquer? But I agree. Uh, the amount of times I've heard, oh, you have a Russian bride. No, I, I, I don't have a Russian bride. I, I have a, a woman that I met face to face. Totally unexpectedly, it comes back to the initial words where you don't know where you find love. Love just happens, and it just happened that she's Russian. I've had Australian girlfriends. I was I've been with Australian women my entire life. Love just happens. It's and your this is choice. What I believe it's your choice yeah. at the end of the day, right? It is one hundred percent my choice. I choose that I want to be with my woman from Russia, mm. and she chooses to be with you. And, and she chooses to be with me, which is the best feeling in the world. Isn't that amazing? I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I've, I've never had a problem with women, Greg. I've got a great business that I own. I've 
there's nothing wrong with me whatsoever. But it comes back, I just, I fell in love with someone I met in a, from a place I didn't expect and it's just blossomed from there. And now we're in a situation where we're simply a statistic and nobody's listening to us. There is no one listening to us. We are screaming left, right and centre for people to hear us. Only recently it's been um, brought up in the Senate about the situation that we're all in at the moment. I want to come back to the term I used before, which was discrimination. I just want to put it into a bit more perspective, what I mean, where we have many different visas for people to come into our wonderful country. However, many of these visas are exempt, meaning that the person can come in to Australia, um, quarantine, and then proceed into our communities. However, one of the most important visas, which is the prospective marriage visa or the PMV 300 visa, is, is not exempt. Now, these are visas for people who want to come to Australia, get married within a certain period, around about nine to 15 months, and, and settle and become Australians, in, embrace the Australian life. Then there's other visas which are very similar, which you know, the 309 visa, uh, the tourist visas, which are all exempt meaning that people are still able to come into this country even without full proof of relationship or they're here for just for tourist reasons they're still coming to this country many of them are not leaving but they're still coming in however by not including the 300 visas is purely discriminatory purely discriminatory due to the fact that um they're letting everyone else in but not people who really really should or want to be here. This week, Senator Nick McKim, he brought up in Senate, uh, wanting to uh, add a couple more visas to the exemption list, one of them being the PMB 300 visa. This is giving hope to people in the same situation as me. This one senator who's gone, hang on, this is not right. Now, Senator Mc Nick McKim, he is a, a member of the Australian Greens Party. He's... Um, He's also a family man. He understands that people should be together. So him bringing this up in, in the Senate, it was voted on and it was passed. We're now waiting on our government to look at the Senate recommendations to see if they'll add a couple more visas to the exempt list, which will surely make life a lot easier for a lot of people in my situation who want to bring their prospective partners into our country. Uh, I believe this sitting for the government is happening in the next two weeks. So... Uh, that's my hope at the moment. My hope is that the government will say, yes, PMB 300 visas will be exempt and, they can, and these people can come into this country. Having that, we have another slap in the face with our recently introduced uh, border reductions where they've, they've cut the caps by 50% of the people coming to this country. It feels like every time you get that little step closer, you have to take that two steps back. However, you do get those two steps forward, but it just takes that time again. By having that little bit of hope, it does take that time. However, hopefully, with all the new uh, four-stage implementation plans our government put into place only yesterday, hopefully there's things to change. Hopefully the so-called light at the end of the tunnel is true, because that's our hope. Well, that's my hope. And just finally, I wanted to ask you, once Anna gets here... What are you going to do? What's the plan? 
I have a I have a marriage celebrant booked for the seventeenth of October this year. So the moment Anna gets here, we want to get married. Mm-hmm. That's our plan. And then... we want the, we want the dream. We want to live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Happily ever after. Isn't that the dream? But isn't that all you, what we all want? Have you seen the and future? Believe... Have you have you seen? Have you got some plans of where you want to take her and what you want to do? I've got all those things in my head. I've you know I've kind of planned so many. Oh look! Well, there's a saying out there, and it says you don't fall in love when you first meet. You actually fall in love later when you're not together, because then you start creating a imagery in your head of a life together with that person of doing things that you hadn't actually done yet and also reliving the memories which then build up an emotional response so you can have this amazing time together and you're living in the moment but it's on reflection that you really feel that love and it's uh, on reflection and imagination for the future that you really feel connected like uh, you know a concrete situation and feeling that this is what you're going to build and i've done that myself where i uh you know i've relived those memories um and then also forward projected where i want to go where i want to take her uh, what we're going to do together and looking at um activities that i hadn't really done before that i'd never really thought about doing you know certain concerts that i hadn't considered going to um you know certain events because i would have somebody there don't they say separation makes the heart grow fonder? Sometimes it does, and very much so in this situation. Sometimes I could be in my office and even giggle to myself at some little things we've done together or a little saying she's done or something she said incorrectly. The plans for the future, I have got so many, I don't know where to start. Uh, she came to, she's been to Australia once before. I brought her out, uh, this was uh, 2019. She came to Australia. We had uh, three weeks here and it was fantastic. And there's just so many things that things that I've never seen before have always been there, but I've never seen before and gone, oh, I'd love to do that with someone. Having that someone here, yes, I get to do things. Things that you would not normally do where you won't normally go as a single person or, or by yourself. Yeah, and I, I notice things more. I noticed restaurants. I noticed little events. I noticed things that I haven't seen before and and get excited that one day I will be able to do this with Anna. And, and that's that's another you know point is you become a bigger spender with the events that you're going to to support locally. Well, yeah, there's a huge uh, backflow effect. You know, people get out more. The, the the person's healthier, happier, less of a burden on the medical system, on the mental health system. Exactly. When you're happy. The whole world's different, isn't it? And if you've got someone who you love next to you, what else do you need? When you've got a plan, your business grows. When you've got somebody to live for, your uh, your business... Everything grows. Everything grows? Everything grows. Everything grows. Your business, your, your relationship with your family, your relationship with your friends. You become more sociable. You become more hospitable. Everything changes. It's always changing for the best. It will change for the best. I, I dream for the day it changes for the best. If somebody was listening to this in a position of power, what would you want to say? What would it be if it was you? Or, or how would you feel if it was you in the same situation? Not everything is black and white. Start to see things in some colour as well. Because we're living with rules that are old. We are living with procedures that are old. It is time to bring our country in the 21st century and make things happen. We're so quick to say, together we can get this happening, together we can have this, together we can have this. 
well, what about what I want? It's not hard. What we all want is not a hard thing. We're just asking for, for the people we love to be with us. It's not a hard thing to ask for. Because I'm sure if the people in power had someone who they loved who wanted to be with them, they would be with them. So now is the time to start thinking like a human, not thinking like a politician. Think about love. Because we all look for it. My name is Greg Dean. You can find out more about Explore Life on YouTube at Explore Life Films. <laughs>